Thank you for listening to Papercut Podcast, bringing you evocative interviews with local creatives every week from hometown heroes to hidden gems. Brought to you by the West End Cultural Center, the best place to see live music in Winnipeg for over 30 years. Welcome to Paper Cup Podcast. My name is Jared Goche. I'm Olivia Michaelchuk, and we are here with Raina Masterton. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, well, I am from Winnipeg. Jared and I went to high school together, and I'm a theater artist living in West Broadway right now. And what high school was that again? Uh, that was Collège Belliveau. Oh, yeah. And, and their mascot was, uh, what was it again? Uh, Barracuda. Damn right. Yeah. Best high school ever. Go Kudas. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, so what's a theater? <laughs> what's a theater artist? Uh, I write a lot of my own work. I also help produce, um, do a lot of movement choreography. Um, yeah, I kind of just do all of it. I try and do it from scratch. Write my own shows. Do my own choreography to it. Help produce it. Do a little bit of design. Um, direct a little bit. Act. Have you ever used the song Barracuda in any of your work? Just like bring it back to high school, you know, a little nostalgia. Did you guys ever play the song Barracuda? Oh, uh, it, it I think played it was played, yeah. All the time. <laughs> you were on the you were on the committee for pep rallies, weren't you? I don't bring this up often enough, but I actually was the Barracuda, Barry the Barracuda. Yeah, you were. On yeah. several occasions, I really liked it. Yeah. Yeah. T- could you talk? No, no, but the whole point of it was that you People were talk. paying attention to me all the time, and I just really like that. Yeah. Uh, anyways, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, st- I'll stay we'll with College Belly Vote. Um, were you ever, were you in drama class? I took drama class one year with Madame Arbe. Okay, so is that where it all started, or did it start before that? Well, I think it started before that, you know, like... I was always watching SNL when it was, you know, Andy Samberg and Keenan Thompson and all those funny, funny Kristen Wiig, like Bill Hader. Mm-hmm. And I used to like plan my Saturday nights so I could just watch those live. And I think from then I was, it was always like in the back of my mind, like almost plan B was that I would do some aspect of performance. And then what was plan A? Oh, I have no idea. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was just kind of like... That's a solid plan. You know what? You know what? I got a solid plan B. I'll figure out A once I'm, I don't know, a real human being and not in high school. Right. That's fair. But, um, and then I I think from there, like, I, I remember taking a class at MTYP just to see kind of what the learning steps are and see if, like, actually doing it as opposed to watching someone do it has the same thrill, and it did. So hmm. I uh, I started taking theater classes at the University of Winnipeg once I graduated, and it kind of just took off from there. I loved it from the first class, so. So did you do the theater program? Like, do you have a degree in Yeah, theater? I have a Bachelor of Honors in theater performance, and then after U of W, I went off to Toronto for a year of uh, training in physical and devised theater. And then since then, I've, I've kind of continued my training. Like, I, you know, won't stop. I love being a student and learning on my feet. So I've gone to Banff to do a small workshop for a week there. And then I went to London at the Globe Theatre and did a Shakespeare workshop. I've trained 
here with a lot of workshops in Toronto too. So yes, to answer your question, I have a bachelor. Sorry. No, it's all good. So can you like fail a theater class? Oh yeah. And how does that happen? You said, oh yeah. That's like a it's, really oh yeah. It's, it's, it's so weird thinking about theater school. I love weird stuff. Tell yeah, me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Me. So theater school is really, really weird because you're being graded on you almost as a human being. Right, yeah. Right? So what they are asking you to do is to open yourself, be vulnerable, uh, connect through your voice, connect through your body, and just kind of be there on stage working and if you don't do that, or if you can't access that, then it starts to become a conversation of how can we help you, you know, figure out how to use your voice properly. And and a lot of that can come from just like self-confidence. If you're not confident and you're not giving your, your, your um, voice enough breath to support it, to reach people, and instead you're keeping it for yourself, a lot of it will come back to, you know, you're probably really nervous and really not comfortable having people hear you or reaching people. So it's weird that you can fail in voice, right? right. Because right. we all know how to speak and talk and and communicate ideas and thoughts and, and reach people like we're doing right now. But in a in a grander scale of of theater, it's like you have to almost do that by a thousand more times like it's just it's such a grander scale of trying to reach someone and communicate a thought and connecting with the language that is not your own and you are learning and putting it it into yourself and into your body and getting that character so if you're not like in it and really in it and there's a part of you going this is you know reyna doing this thing it's not the character it's me trying to tell you something and and failing at it it's because I haven't like disassociated myself almost from it so it's you can fail because you're not doing the work because you're still being yourself which is not always what you want to do in Mm -hmm. your characters of line kind of thing interesting so I guess I get people's limits and I guess personalities would only allow certain things so is it is it really them failing or kind of maybe just realizing that you don't have the range to be in this you mm. don't got what it takes you don't yeah got is it that it. kind of what it is really like because you got it or you don't got it what is your yeah. feelings well, on that and how can you teach someone to get it like what are some of the things that could help someone yeah. find their voice yeah um I mean yeah it's probably not necessarily like failing at it you can work to get it you can achieve it for sure it takes a lot of for me it took a lot of self-confidence issues and and remembering like like teachers will use via negativa all the time so it's it it, they talk about how there's a, a way of teaching people by um singling out what you do wrong Right? So if you do a presentation and they go, uh, good job, Jared, but you did A, B, C, D wrong. Like, those are your your marks. Those are your comments. Those are your feedback. And and that's all you have. Then you're kind of walking away going, okay, well, I did all this wrong, but what did I do right? 
And so over time, like you get all of that sometimes in like elementary through high school, through university, you know, a master's maybe, and and it can really wear you down as a student and as a as a person. And so I found that once I went to this one training opportunity in Toronto where they were really about teaching you as you are. So if you know you have an accent or if you have um, any kind of mobility issues, if you don't understand how to do something in any kind of capacity, they will work with who you are to do it. You know, they're not going to throw you into a Shakespeare and tell you you can't have your accent. They're going to say, use your accent use it what does it do for your character what does it do for you how does it you know change the language that you're using or or help you reach someone or you know so in that process when they are more comforting and will will um will tell you like all the things you're doing right they'll say you're doing such a good job in a b c d like you've you know, grown so much in this way, what we're going to do now is get you here, or we're gonna work on this step. And then you can go, okay, this is my base. Look at all this awesome stuff I have. I'm not gonna forget about it. I'm gonna keep it with me. These are my tools. And now I move on to section whatever, whatever, and work on the next thing. Interesting, so. So for people that are teaching you these things, what are the, like, who are they and why are their opinions of how you are acting? Or even as mm. a director, say, someone saying, I need you to do this and that. Yeah. What type of authority or knowledge or something do they have over the way that somebody acts? Do you understand my yeah. question? Yeah. Well, I mean, they. what I try and remember and, and think about is that they were in my position years ago or many years ago or whatever. Like, we were all in this this place of being new, being the new person in the room, or being on your first job, your first professional gig, or whatever. And so all they have is experience and a little bit more intuition, maybe, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? So uh, teachers, that's hard because, I mean, they have degrees and they have um, (laughs) work, I guess, in academic fields and I mean, it's hard. How do you grade art? Yeah, exactly. It's such a weird concept that we have all these programs to to grade a a piece of art. Like, it's something that you created. It's your own thing. It's, you know, exploring all these ideas. But how can you tell me that I'm not exploring these ideas to the fullest? Like, it's so subjective. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, teachers are hard. Professors are hard. They, They follow curriculums. They follow you know, kind of a box on the outside judging what you're doing. So what they get to see, though, is a longer process. So they get to see where you start at the beginning of the semester or the year, and they get to see where you go. Mm -hmm. And in that way, they get to see a lot of your work and your growth as a human being. They see you joking around, you know, with your friends in class. They also see you working hard on your projects or your presentations or your shows. Um, A director... What they do is that they are shaping the show. It's, it's their vision that they have to create for the audience. And everyone is on the same team to fulfill that vision. 
So all the designers are always in conversations with directors to see like how can they work together to create this idea that they have for the show. Um, and sometimes they're really big, like the last Shakespeare show they just did at MTC was As You Like It, and they did it in the style of the Beatles in the 70s and with WWE wrestling. So that... <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> so the director was like, yo, this is what I want. I yeah. want body slamming and I want Beatles songs. And they, the designers will work with them to create this like huge set of just colorful patterns and a ring gets set up in the center of the show but hmm. it's like the director who's channeling everything and is kind of the master puppeteer of everything mm -hmm. but and that goes down right to the actors too where the, the the director has the feeling or the intuition or the idea of how the show is what the main message is what each scene what each moment between people you know really boils down to and so they will work with the actors to like lead it there to get it there and i find that my favorite directors are the ones who also give the actors time to play so they'll they'll let you figure out because we're all human beings we understand interaction and social connections and and where you've gone wrong or if you've stepped over a line right so if you can make that as authentic as possible and give people the opportunity to play and just like do it mm -hmm. and then they go that was really interesting what you did there like instead of going towards this person you instead walk that way or just making space or whatever it is mm -hmm. um they'll like they'll watch to see what's going on and then help help make sure that everyone in the audience is able to see it. Right. Really. Okay. Because, yeah, if, if you have the intuition to, like, walk away from the audience and face upstage, which is away from everyone, that's great. But eventually you got to turn around because people are paying the big bucks to see your face. So directors are there to really, like, shape everything that's going on and make sure that it's accessible and that we're, we're seeing it and feeling it. Mm -hmm. That's so. so interesting. I don't know if I could... I, I don't know if I could have everything guided to a vision and then also at the same time you want to give that, like you said, that room to breathe, right? Yeah. So it's like you're doing your own <laughs> things while you're still doing this thing that I need you to do and it's like, yeah, it's, that's so crazy. Wow. It's a give and take, you know, and there's so many people working on a show. Like sometimes, sometimes, you know, you have a smaller show and that can be great or it can be hard because... You have less hands, less people, less bodies to do what you need to do. But how know, many people are on a small show? It can average? be uh, well anywhere from like maybe three, and three would be like a two actors and a director. Or it could any? be well. What you always have is a stage manager. Mm -hmm. um, they are like your fairy godmother that you love so much they honestly they're the ones taking notes all the time they're the ones like putting in all the hours they are like the assistant to the director so if the director needs something or needs someone to be somewhere or whatever the stage manager is like yeah got it and they're already like doing it and they are there to support the actors they're there to support the people on stage and the people backstage so they're really there for everyone so you always want to have a stage manager, and then you'll have a director, um, and then you might just have one actor. 
-hmm. and that might be it because if you have no set uh, if the lights are being operated or sound, if you have them, are operated, can be operated by the stage manager. And then if you have, like, no props, no set, it's really just the stage manager and the actor after the director is done. So it could be a, a two-person operation for, if you want it to be, if that's what the show really needs. Also depends on budget. So there's a little bit of that, too playing around with how many people can I actually pay mm -hmm. to do this work, you right. know? Interesting. Well, mm -hmm. I'd like to take some of what we've talked about into what you're currently performing right now and uh, tell us a little bit about the play and maybe a little bit in the uh, behind the scenes of what's going into yeah, that play. Yeah, sure. Um, so me and my friends uh, created this company called Fill the Whole Theatre Collective, and we write all of our own stuff uh, so we've done a few fringes and this year we are participating in the Shakespeare Fest um, so we wrote our own play based on the witches of Macbeth and what we've done is we've kind of deconstructed Macbeth and looked at the three witches and and really decided to give them an origin story and like figure out who these women are who they were how did Shakespeare write them to be these, you know, horrible, ugly, but so powerful and sinister witches? And then that led us to, to looking at the witch trials and the witch huntings in Scotland in the 1800s. And we really just like wanted to give them more autonomy and more of a voice and, and, and backstory. So we ended up writing like a whole origin story of these three women who became the witches of Macbeth and um, really push along the story and the action and set Macbeth and Lady Macbeth into their path of total destruction. So was there no type of research papers or anything? I feel like Shakespeare is so deconstructed yeah. by, in so many academic settings. Was yeah. there any papers or like any things that you found about the witches that you were writing? Yeah. Found a few papers, but they're all um, locked online. Oh, really? Right. Yeah. Like they're they're people's essays and and dissertations that you have to like pay for or be on the in the faculty of whatever whatever university to access them. So there's there was a few of them, but I could read like four pages and then it would just drop off, and I was like, okay, well. And they obviously leave you on a cliffhanger, too. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, all the time. That's what it usually is. That's how yeah. they get you. You're all the like, good stuff's on the fifth page. Oh, yeah. do, I, do I register at the University of Missouri now? I don't know. Like, maybe. You probably take a few classes. Yeah, yeah. online classes. I can drop them. <laughs> um, what I found that was super interesting was that Shakespeare actually took um, liberties on these weird sisters from... What was it? King James wrote his, like, daemonology. He, so he wrote, like, a series of books about history of, of um, Scotland, England, Wales, Ireland. And so in one of them, because the story of Macbeth is based on a true king, but also, also it was Shakespeare doing some of his own liberties to... To make the story what it is it's not all true and factual to the real king a dramatization um, is that the uh, word? yes <laughs> yeah, yes 
that thespian. Um, <laughs> and so Shakespeare took the idea of these women and they were he took it from a chapter in one of the daemonologies from King James or whatever and uh and what these women actually were were like these beautiful women who were just in the forest that's all they were they were they were healers they were you know what we would consider i guess midwives and and community growers really and they were women who just were happened to be in the forest and like hung out and did their stuff and lived their lives and did whatever they wanted and and Shakespeare took the idea of these women and they were considered like fairies living in the forest and made them these ugly hags like a stereotypical witch that you know we see in movies all the time with a mole or like wrinkles everywhere and white hair and and he made them appear uh, horrific for the service of his play, essentially. Was it ever explained why he needed to twist it like that, or...? He's just a dick. Yeah. I think he was just a dick. Yeah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> like, really? You could have written a good play with, like, with the way they were yeah. before, but it's like... But then you'd also have to find really beautiful juvenile boys to play them, and it's like, it's probably just much easier to make them ugly. Yeah, that was it. He probably <laughs> just, like, took some soot from just the streets and, like... Yeah. Yeah. He had a smaller production, a smaller so really production. he had to cheat, you know, cheat it where he could. Yeah, it's all about budget. It's all about <laughs> how much money you got, Shakespeare, yeah, to really make it happen. Theater is just mostly budgeting. Yeah. He learned <laughs> he totally from the wasn't origin of theater. <laughs> yeah. He just yeah. Was, poor Shakespeare was just like oh, really pinching his pennies, trying yeah. to make poor this guy. happen. We get yeah. it. We get it. Yeah. 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 Definitely not. We a take jerk. that back. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Shakespeare. <laughs> Sorry, Shakespeare. But so- it's a. It is an interesting question though of like why did he, why did he need to do it. Mm-hmm. And it's like you look at the the text and what it gives and and see like why does the appearance of these women need to be such a extreme, mm-hmm. right? Right. Um, when writing a play, mm-hmm. I guess going back to Shakespearean times, it's <laughs> like there's there's liberties taken, there's dramatizations, but how far can you push it before? Mm. Like, are there any rules for that, or is it just have fun with whatever if you want to use nonfiction, fiction? Like, are there any guidelines, or is it just fit it within the act structure and then it's good to go? Uh, I would say there's no rules. I mean, okay, maybe there's some rules, but I'm not... <laughs> what are the rules? Yeah. <laughs> we can't talk about the rules. <laughs> oh, I can't tell you. No. Now, this um, is cutting deep. Yeah, this yeah. Is it. <laughs> we talked about this beforehand. You can't ask me about the rules. I mean, I wish I was in the Actors Guild. What but is an Actors Guild? What is an Actors Guild? I don't know. Oh. Is it, it just sounds fun. It sounds like oh, a Okay, nice I thought it was a real thing because I no, feel yes, like it. No, yes, Screen Actors have, Guild. Yeah. The, the SAG. Oh, the SAG. I, I think mm. if you're in it, it's kind of like a union for actors. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. We have a union here. What but is it it's, called? It's called uh, Canadian Actors Equity Association. So it, they shorten it to CAEA. CAEA. Yeah. Hmm. And why does there have to be a union? It's just to make sure that you're being paid fairly or you're working in conditions that are safe. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. 
And that's like really distilling it. The The union does so much more. I'm not shitting on the union at all. Oh, no, no. Well, that's, yeah. yeah no. they, People are going to stay alive. Like, that's great. Yeah. That's the rule. Yeah. Oh, they're going to get paid. Obviously, it would cost you to be in the union, but is there a, mm-hmm. like, are you in the union? I'm not. What they operate on, I think, is as soon as you have two professional roles, they'll invite you to be a part of the union. Okay. So I have one so far. What oh. What's that? Uh, I was in Prairie Nurse at... Uh, PTE last last October, yeah. So that was my first professional gig. What what are the the parameters of a professional versus non professional gig? What are the what makes it professional? That's a good mm-hmm. question. Um, I'd say what you're doing right now is pretty professional. Yeah, that's cool. It's top Thanks, off. guys. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're um, here for you. Yeah, oh. this is all about you. We have like 10 more minutes of it being entirely about oh you. No <laughs> 10 minutes. There's so much to say. No, I don't. Um, I guess, I guess the biggest difference between professional and non-professional, I don't know if you could, I don't know if you could call anything non-professional mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. Um, because as long as you're putting in the work and doing the damn thing that you want to do, how can you say it's not professional? But I would say then because I said it, a professional gig. Um, I considered PTE to be my first one because I went through the process of of signing contracts. They deal with everything. They have their own space. They have their own home. PTE is in Portage Place and has been there for years. Um, they have a full, 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 all your staff. They build all the sets. They do all of the lights. They have everything there all ready to go. And so they are a entity that's built to make productions every year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would say that's maybe the biggest difference is that if you're working without a home, without a theater, without a, a core group of people that you can pay all year round, you're really like, you're applying for grants, you're doing fundraising, you're looking for in-kind donations. And some, some theaters do that all the time. Like they do that every year where they do the grind to get their funding and get their spaces and get their people paid and and make sure that they're doing all their marketing and stuff. Um, But PTE I considered to be my first professional because in a larger scope in the city, I think it's, it's perceived as a professional show. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah, you go for it. I heard you inhale before I did. How many hours front to back? Like, I know I'm generalizing it and there's probably way more to it, but when you have an idea for a show, mm-hmm. like, and the idea is written down, I guess, is after the synopsis, how long until your first show? Uh, I mean, it, it varies. It really depends on the kind of person or artist you are or, or what your parameters are like if you have to work on a funding timeline or whatever um well, our, let's go to, yeah, your our show we started working on it in the summer and now we've opened it in january so that's that's fast. half a year it's yeah yeah it is pretty fast once you think about it but some people will take um three to five years just working on the script mm-hmm. like yeah. they will they'll write they'll uh they'll edit it a, ben- a bunch they might have you know a, a dramaturge or or whatnot 
and pass it along to people for editing, keep reworking. They might do workshops, so they'll bring in actors and actually get them to read it and do it a little bit and then get people's opinions, thoughts, see you kind of where the kinks are once you hear it. Because it's so different when you're you're reading something or if something's written to be read and not spoken mm-hmm. and heard, it's, it's very different. Um, and I wouldn't have thought about that until I started writing my own shows and I started giving them like those speeches to people to read and then I go oh that's that's not how I meant it to be to be read or or said or whatever Mm -hmm. and so people will take uh you know as much time as they want and can afford to really work on a show so you can you can write a script in a year and and pass it along to someone to do and maybe do like a revision before they do it but really work on it for a year and send it off or you could take you know five years if you really wanted to work at something so working at something for a year or working at it for five years is yeah. it mostly just sitting on it and like it just becomes like all consuming and you just like think about how you could change your play like <laughs> yeah. there's no way you're sitting and writing an hour-long play like, it, it's only an hour-long play. You, yeah. There's not much more that you can write. Yeah. It it's de- just editing and revising? I mean, it depends who you are and, like, what you like to do as part of your process. Because you could... I mean, you could write, like, three versions of the of the play if you want. Mm-hmm. And then look at each one and, and, and figure out what pieces of each one you really like or what is really sticking out to you. Um, I work more in writing and then improvising it. So I really like to write something and then actually put it up on its feet and see how it feels. Hmm. And if it feels right, then I keep going, edit it, whatever. And if it's really like, this is not it, you know, put it in a, a folder to look at later and then keep dissecting and picking it apart. So it's really like you could sit on it for years and just like slowly edit it and figure out if it that is the 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 story clear front to back that you mm-hmm. want to tell or you could like blow it up a thousand times if you want and like add in new characters add a dream sequence just because you want to try like you right. know do you want mm-hmm. to some people like to put up storyboards around like their apartment and they'll put up the pages for each scene uh, like on a board and make drawings and like figure out the motion of it and like hmm. there's there's a lot of layers that you can really put into any piece of art mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if if that's what you're going for if that's what you know excites you if that's how you like to work right so, so with this project and on the timeline that you guys had um did you just feel really confident in what you had like were there a lot mm. of did you run it by a lot of people and everything was just hitting it really well and you thought, you know what, this is it. We don't need to keep shopping it for a year, two years. Well, no, we had a we had a timeline because the the festival was happening in January. So we knew we knew that it was going to be Shakespeare uh, maybe spring or summer of last year. And then we um, one of the girls in the company had the idea of like, why don't we look at the witches of Macbeth? Like, why don't we look at what their story is and maybe try and write something about that? And that was maybe June when that came up. And then, uh, and then she went off 
to Scotland for a little while, so we were doing back and forth and writing on Google Docs. And we brought in um, our fabulous director and dramaturg, and she is my fairy godmother for sure because she's spectacular and just kept like narrowing all of our, our stuff down to, you know, what is the questions you're asking? What is it you're saying with this? Why this person? Why this? Why that? And really harnessing all of our writing in together because all three of us wrote the play. And if you have, you know, all these scenes or, or monologues written by three different people, it can almost feel like a Frankenstein play mm-hmm. where it just doesn't sound cohesive at all. Like it, you can tell that it was written by three different people. Right. So what she did was help us established the language and was like, yeah, we're going to write it in very heightened, like poetic language. So it's very descriptive. It's not, you know, it's not a a realism play where it's, it's language that we use every day to communicate and stuff. So, so we ran it by her and we like, I think brought her in for a week of workshopping in November. And then December we we went hard on that script and really started figuring, you know, everything out and where it needed to be placed and, and how we wanted it to to feel and what was the ride we were taking audiences on and if, if these moments were landing right, did we have enough um, research done that we were pulling from the time of the 1800s in Scotland to really bring into the play. So we, we were working on just a tight schedule was really it and then and then we we're like okay well this is the show we have now it's going up and we think it's great but it's also like step one of the show so if we ever want to remount it which we might and we might take it on you know another life uh on tour somewhere or whatever in another festival um then we can really you can workshop it and kind of finesse it and change it if you want because it's it's ours we don't have to pay royalties. Shakespeare's dead. Um, nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I like, said it's yeah. yours. Uh, loophole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Nice loophole. loophole. That's our favorite. We miss Shakespeare. Yeah. R.I.P. Yeah. R.I.P. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've got one more question. Do you yeah, have one more question as well? No. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot of pressure to get this one right. Hey, then. You're so <laughs> thorough. I have nothing to ask. Um, You've done a, quite a bit of shows now. Mm-hmm. Is stage fright a thing for you? Or oh, great, yeah. it is. Yeah, 100%. What, how do you combat it? Um, how do I? Uh, that's a good question. I remember that I just like doing it. You know, I remember that. Um, that audience members are not the enemy, that they're not there to watch me fail. They're watch. They're there to watch this beautiful show, whatever it might be, and just you know be in the audience and and go along for the ride and feel everything that they need to feel or or whatever I'm giving them. And all I want to do is like really go out there and and a have fun because uh, I love doing what I'm doing. But also like, yeah, I'm doing it for people. It's not for myself. I'm doing it for people who have paid to come and share this evening with me. And so I really will just breathe that out and um, <laughs> drink some water because hydrate your damn self before you get out there. And uh, yeah, 
I really get into the zone of, you know, I am this character going on to do this thing, to be in this show, and it's for the people. So just do it for the people. Do it for the people. What a yeah. great way to end it. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, your, the, the play resumes tomorrow, right? Or it resumes so, on... Today. It is my Thursday. Thursday. Oh. It resumes on Thursday. Yeah, okay. we're doing Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Fantastic. Yes. This is coming out on Monday. Tomorrow. Today. Today is today Monday. Is Monday. Is Monday <laughs> when you're listening to it. We didn't talk about this before. Thank you, Raina, for coming on today. We really appreciate it. And uh, thank, thank you for, for cutting, cutting deep with us on Papercut Paper Podcast. Podcast. Thanks. Thanks.